Ladies and gentlemen, let us cast our minds back to 2015, the pre-Trump halcyon days, and a time of James Bond's 24th action-adventure film picture. It is time to go deep into the Bond mythology as we resurrect a villain not seen since the 1960s, except for a couple of sort of mentions in 1981 and also kind of an appearance in 1970. Look, you get the point. Blofeld is back. It's time to throw it all on the table. We've been leading to this moment all of 2020. It is time for us to discuss Spectre. And with me, as always to go through the Bond films. We've done 23, this is 24, actually our 25th because we did do Never Say Never Again. We have sat behind the microphone to analyse these films and every time we've mentioned Spectre as a giant sort of hovering thing looming over us, there'll be some sort of word for that, I'm sure. Please welcome a man who always dresses in white tuxedo when he's taking dinner on a train in the middle of the North African desert. It's Stuart Late. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Hey, Natalie. What's that? Cuckoo. <laughs> Cuckoo. <laughs> Cuckoo. Oh, Stu, we're here. We're finally here at Spectre. We're finally here. You can hear how... It's, it's here, Natalie. <laughs> The architect of all your pain. It's author. Did you notice the that? The author of all your pain. Sorry, yeah. I've been misquoting it this whole no, time. No, I've been misquoting it too this whole time because, of course, I haven't seen this film since I saw it in the cinemas. And then I realised, oh, he says author because, you know, he's more literary based as opposed to architecturally, technically based. Sure. Oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves, aren't we? This this is Spectre. This is it. Yeah. And this is it for the series so far. Um, we Obviously, no time to die in the can, but we are yet to see it. It's not coming out till 2021. So for us right now, this is this is where the the series ends. And uh, what an ending! What an ending! <laughs> I will say just to, to start off before we get to our minute challenge, this film definitely feels like Daniel Craig's kind of walk off into the sun moment. Oh, absolutely! This film is designed to be Daniel Craig's last film, and and I think it was like I mean he basically had said as much at the time. He was like, I am I'm done. Like this could be it. It is literally. His swan song, because <laughs> because the girl is Dr. Madeline Swan, of who you might remember her name. I don't know if you would. I know it because I've been reading about it, but I don't know if she's <laughs> among the legendary Bond. She, I, I don't feel she's as well known as Vesper Lind still, but absolutely not. No, and considering that she's now coming back for the for the next film, yes. Um, so she she's one of the very rare Bond girls that actually makes it to the next film. Yeah, he got married. Even she didn't make it to the next. Even film. she didn't make it to the next film. <laughs> Vesper Lynn didn't make it to the next film. Who else has? M, I suppose. But yes, yeah, so this, true, yeah. he literally drives off into the sunset with Madeline Swan in his reconstructed Aston Martin DB5. You know, that's how the film ends. In Would fact, have... they, they ruin a perfectly good final shot so that he can have the the drive off in the DB5. Uh, are you talking about the shot? Uh... He, him walking off the bridge. Him walking yes. off the bridge with her should that's have been the right. final shot of the movie. But instead, they do the cute, I've just got one more thing to pick up. Yes, that's right. That It's the little coda to incorporate the car and have the da-da-da-da-da-da. It's an ending. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's look, an it's ending. the ending of a Bond film. I'll, I'll give it that. But it feels more 
like an ending ending of a of an era of a bond absolutely yeah yeah and that's the thing like this was putting a line under daniel craig's era as james bond i mean i'm sure that and obviously they they managed to talk him around into doing one more but this is this is set up so that if daniel craig didn't come back this works as his final film this is a a film that is as obsessed with endings you know so it's definitely all about daniel craig not not being bond anymore yeah <laughs> I'm still processing my feelings about this film, Stu, I've got to say. I'm well, still- you know what? I'll set up my feelings in a, an interesting way, which is that I think this is three quarters of a genuinely great Bond film. <laughs> I honestly do. I think there are a lot of elements here that work really well, but there's but you, one you- <laughs> big thing that doesn't work, and it's kind of the linchpin of the whole thing. And you also said, well, with an upward inflection. So. Yes, I did. Yeah, so maybe <laughs> I don't think that. Maybe maybe I'll have the, the thing where we talk about it and I end it, up hating it more. There are a lot of elements here that I should love as a classic Bond fan. They have brought back elements. They opened with the gun barrel finally. You they know, open, they, Daniel Craig finally opens with a gun barrel and then yeah. the first half an hour of the movie is like just a tour of everything I love about the Bond movies. Oh, the, the like whole just, steady cam, you know, single take shot, which I believe was a few takes, but they joined them together yeah. so well that you can't see the joins. But, you know, that whole through Mexico City, Day of the Death parade, it was weird to see Bond in a costume. I've got to, I've got to admit, it's, it, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a clown. It was a skull, a skeleton, but it's still a bit like, oh, but he's Bond. Like, he, I can't see his Weird. But... Yeah, and and the the helicopter fight, the chase, the bomb exploding, really fun and all good with that. That opening credits is a belter. Don't have a lot of problems with it. And there are other things, like there's great car chase and there's fun stuff in different places. And look, basically I can sum it up, I think, in a similar way to you by saying there's a lot of elements here that I should love, but then there's something missing. There's some Mm. part of the DNA that's not quite there Maybe it's the fun element that I've been thinking about since we we talked about Skyfall being not as fun as sure. And yet, films. I would argue that the the first half hour of this movie is the most fun that Daniel Craig has as Bond because he's in it. Yeah. He is James <laughs> Bond. There's M. There's Money Penny. He has a Q scene where there's fun banter between oh, Bond was... and Q. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that was great. This is a meat and potatoes, and this is this is the first thing on my on my one minute challenge. This is a back to basics Bond. This is them trying to reset. They did the big anniversary movie with, with Skyfall, and then they're like, okay, so now this one is a Bond film. So what's a Bond film? Like, well, he has the he has the car, and he has we have the opening, we have the cold open before the credits. We have the the big credit sequence, and then we have M's annoyed at him. He's up against it, you know. Uh, he flirts with Money Penny. He has fun banter with Q. Like, yeah, he has a secret base. Like, you know, all this stuff. Like, it's just the first half hour of this movie is great. I love it. I love mm. everything about it. It is especially watching them in order like this. It is an obvious return to just, hey, let's just make a Bond film. Let's not go crazy. And then it just goes completely off the rails. <laughs> well, yeah, I would like to just open with my minute challenge, Stu, because sure. I feel like you'll probably have, to have some more sophisticated insights. So I'm just going to read you what I wrote during our okay. minute challenge. Okay. <laughs> okay. Blofeld is Bond's brother. Why, God, why? Isn't it enough that he's a great villain? Why does everything have to be interconnected? This is Bond, (laughs) for fuck's sake, not the fucking MCU. 
But there are some fun bits, I suppose. That's your entire one-minute challenge? That's my entire one-minute challenge because I had to write that in very big letters in caps lock. So yes, yes, in caps absolutely. lock. I wrote in caps lock. You with wrote somehow hands. in caps lock, yes. <laughs> I, yeah, so, you know, we can start with your one-minute challenge. No, no, no. I do look, actually, look, let's, I do actually let's have start right there. Challenge. Let's start right there. Let's get it out of the way because, like, Blofeld is, is looming like some sort of uh, – you know, looming a thing. shadow or looming yeah. thing. Yeah, like I don't know. Um, loud. Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah, some sort of, um, yeah, I mean. Some if there word for it. Word for it, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he obviously looms large over this movie. Yes. And what a waste of Christoph Waltz, honestly. like. Uh, now, I don't know Christoph Waltz's oeuvre probably as much as you. Like, I haven't seen him in that. He's done a fair bit of uh, Quentin Tarantino, hasn't he? Uh, yes, yes, he has. Yeah, yeah, he's one of his favourites. I haven't seen much Tarantino, so I haven't seen a lot of Christoph Waltz, but he is, by all accounts, a wonderful actor. And in many ways, I think it was Tom Selinski who said that, you know, Bond villains are always traditionally played by European theatre actors. <laughs> yes. And I feel like that is, that is very much calling back to uh, that tradition with That's his right. casting. But, yeah, he's revealed to be Bond's brother, like a step... Well, not only that, there's another layer to it because they do the thing where they pretend he's a different person. Even though we all know who he is, everyone going in knows exactly who he's supposed to be. And they treat it like this massive reveal when he says to him, you know, oh, no, this person died a long time ago. My name is Ernst Stavro Blofeld. And you almost expect him to look to the camera and do a little wink <laughs> yeah. or something. And it's like, we know. We know who you are. You're yeah. wearing the shirt, for God's sake. Like, yeah, he, you know, yeah. We know, he we know. You can't treat it like a reveal, you know, and they do that thing where they name him another character and actually that's his name and he changed his name to Blofeld. Yeah. So when in interviews he says, oh, no, I'm playing a character who is called this, he's not technically lying to you. Yeah, and it's his it's mother's so maiden name or something. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, it's just can... so frustrating. Just call him Blofeld. Lean into it. Say, hey, in this one, we brought Blofeld back. Like, James Bond's going to fight Blofeld in this one, and it's going to rule. Yeah, it was... <sighs> do you think that... And I mean this. I know I just sort of made a joke about it in my one-minute challenge, but do you think <laughs> the MCU influenced some of this? This, this whole nature of reveals. I don't think the MCU does many of these sorts of things. I tell you, what, what, the, the, what, the example that I always pull is Star Trek Into Darkness. That, okay, yeah. yes. I was yeah. going to say, he, he's, he with, should have been with, called John Harrison. <laughs> exactly, yeah, John Harrison, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, Bandersnatch Cummerbund is playing a character called John Harrison who in very dramatic fashion says, oh, my name is Khan. You know, it's like, <laughs> we know. <laughs> you, you no, know, like it couldn't be more clear who you are. That name, it's instantly clear to Star Trek fans who he was. And that name means nothing to someone who isn't a Star Trek fan. So that moment doesn't work for either group of people. And, and similarly, in this case, if you're a casual Bond fan who maybe isn't familiar with Blofeld because he was in most of the older movies and you, and you haven't really seen him in like, you know, the Pierce Brosnan movies or something. Right. And you're not familiar with who Blofeld is like the, the closest analogy you would have is Dr. Evil. Yes. You know, like that would be your point of reference. And so they, they're, they're going out of their way to sort of not make him Dr. Evil. Except Dr. Evil is Blofeld. Like, like it's basically <laughs> Blofeld. So, I mean, my, my solution to that is lean into it. Yeah. You know, and they kind of they kind of do a half-hearted thing of that because there's a lot of 
There's little moments that I really love. I really, really love. Like the idea that this is an incredibly powerful man, right? And not not like physically powerful, but like he has incredible power over people. The moment when all the screens turn, when he's telling him his, his grand plan, like he's doing his villain speech. Yes. And all the monitors turn off and everyone stands up and looks at the same time. The idea that this man has control over that many people is legitimately unsettling and terrifying. Mm. And then the movie does nothing with that. It just does nothing with it. It's just a fun visual, and then it just does nothing with it. Oh, the the way that they're able to escape that base. They just walk out, Natalie. (laughs) They 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 fly out in a helicopter. (laughs) And, I mean, you could kind of argue that, you could argue that, okay, maybe he wanted that to happen, I think, except not really. I don't think that's what he wanted to happen. I think he wanted to torture Bond until he died. Yes. And Bond escaped, so he's sort of improvising after that. It's one of those things where you go, how much can people plan and plan and plan? And maybe this is just me revealing my jealousy slash incompetence <laughs> because I can barely plan a day ahead. You know, so someone like it's it's is it is it Joker again? Did we have this conversation that it's Joker we doing plans? Yeah, that's right. It's plans upon plans upon plans, and Blofeld's like that even more so. It's like, but how can you predict every variable? How can you, going back to you being angry that your dad liked Bond more than you, how do you know he's going to be a spy? How do you know, how do you, how do you, how do you know that you're going to become the leader of a massive international criminal enterprise? How, how, how? Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> and, and not only that, like, it makes the concept of Blofeld ridiculous. And Blofeld is ridiculous. But in a Bond villain sort of way, like he's he's an incredibly powerful head of a secret criminal organization dedicated to mischief and, and mayhem across the world, right? So they take this already ridiculous premise and they layer on top of it that he was like a childhood companion to James Bond. Mm. And, and his entire criminal enterprise has been an extended attempt to <laughs> finally destroy James Bond, but not James <laughs> Bond, the super spy who keeps stymieing all his plans. Yeah. James Bond, the boy who like the stole orphan. his daddy's attention. And so he killed his father. It, yeah. And that's what made me so angry oh, when I first. Yeah. I'm glad and that's you canon think so. now. That that's the canon version of Blofeld in these movies. You know, and this is James Bond. Yes, he's obviously got a fairly privileged background in terms of, you know, his parents were obviously rich, but then they died. He is an agent of the state. You know, the whole point is he's the guy you send in when there's something happening and he's got to find out why, and then he comes across these villains. He's not related to them. No, that's he's right, not, exactly. He's not. You know, it's insane uh, Batman thing where like the jo- yes. like, you know, even and we'll and we'll talk about that. Don't you worry. But like, you know, that like the Joker is somehow connected to Batman in this way, like that Blofeld is Bonds Moriarty or Joker, you know, and, and he is like he is the ultimate bad guy. But he's not connected at a familial level with James Bond, that they're adversaries because they represent order and chaos. I feel like it cheap the way that they've retconned Le Chiffre and, I mean, particularly Le Chiffre, but also uh, Dominic Green and Raoul Silva, well, no, I mean, sure, the way they've yeah, retconned I mean, them back into, into Spectre, it kind of takes away from... Uh, it, it, I, it, I have it, no it problem with like that because they, they, even, in, even in Casino Royale, they were obviously leaving a little bit of room 
for Spectre. For, well, for Quantum, you know what I mean? Like Yeah, but the Quantum is Spectre. Well, like they they were leaving that space on a met, yeah on a meta level. If they were getting all the rights back, then yes, exactly. But- they were leaving themselves enough wiggle room that, that they could go back and say, ah, it was Spectre all along, which is fine. I, I have no problem with that specifically. But the problem that I have is that Blofeld is then like, ah, yes, it was all me. I did it specifically to mess with you. It's like, hang on, how did? What did Le Chiffre have to do with James Bond? Yeah, and then but then he he said he said in his villain speech he says that you interfere with my organization and so I interfere with your life. So then you know so except he, that they had already recruited Vesper before they she even met Bond. Yeah, but I guess so once like, they realized that they fell in love, that he had to order her death, but then she ended up killing herself because Bond could have potentially rescued her, and it's just so many variables have to go in a certain way for all of this to make sense. Yes. Exactly. And I, I just want to refer it back to, and we'll get to your minute challenge in a bit, but I've been watching a few videos uh, recently about the Sherlock series. Right. And I, I think there's some sort of similarities, I guess. So, you know, the Benedict Cumberbatch, Martin Freeman, modern day Sherlock, which was... I'm well aware of it, yes. <laughs> well, this is the thing. And I loved, I really liked that series when it came out, but I've just finished watching this guy on YouTube. I think it's a year or two old now who just did this massive video essay called Sherlock is garbage. And here's why. And he goes through it all. And Sherlock becomes garbage. Sherlock is, is, is pretty good for the first two seasons. And then after that, it kind of. And that's into yeah, its own bullshit. He, he definitely talks about how, you know, at, at the least at the start, it's closer to what the stories were. But then it becomes overly obsessed with being all about Sherlock and not the crimes that he solves. It's got to yes. all be about Sherlock, all be about Sherlock, and what, and then just focuses all the time on what a dick he is to everyone around him. <laughs> and then it's all about more. It's got to be a big plot about Sherlock. It's got to be all these things who people who've been working to undermine Sherlock and Moriarty and everything and all these plans and it's all and laying clues and clues and clues. But then they never explain anything. You know, they kind of just have all these clues and am well, i am sure, i making sure, like, i mean i mean you you would know this but like anyone who hasn't watched the episode uh or hasn't watched the show sets up this enormous cliffhanger at the end of season two yes the reichenbach fall the reichenbach fall and then not only doesn't pay it off but almost explicitly says on screen that if you care about it you're an idiot yes and this is what this video and a couple of others i've been watching say is that they almost just kind of like turn the fans away like hey you care about this show too bad you're an idiot for caring yeah if you actually want an answer to the mystery that we explicitly set up at the end of the end of the the second season yeah uh you're dumb you you just just go with (laughs) us and that's the thing and then and the show sort of suffers more and more as it becomes just more and more entwined in in Sherlock and stops actually explaining how he solves things. He just does it off screen and then says, actually, it's this. Or, you know, it becomes less and less about... Yeah, there um, are still some good episodes, but but I'll... But it really goes it, downhill after that. Yeah, it was a really interesting thing to watch because it's been ages since I've watched those shows, but I can't remember the third or fourth series, really. Like, I remember episodes from the first or second. Totally, yeah. And then it sort of went down. And they talk a bit about... Stephen Moffat, who is the showrunner, and how his version of the Doctor, because obviously before Sherlock, or even while Sherlock was going on, he was also doing Doctor while Who. While it was going on, he was making two yeah. of the biggest shows in the UK. Yeah, and well, and this guy argues that he probably shouldn't have been. He should not have funny. been. He was spreading himself too thin. Um, and his version of the Doctor 
and and I like a lot of the early Matt Smiths, but I think one of the things that even we've talked about, or certainly with other Doctor Who people, is uh, that he was probably underserved by some of the stories, like overarching storylines, you know, having to have these big, massive plots where everything's connected back to the Doctor and, you know, the Doctor can't just have a self-contained story. It's got to be bigger bigger things and I guess he sort of compares totally, that to yeah. Sherlock too and I guess I'm sort of comparing that a bit to what they do with Bond here it's obviously not the same tv shows are different to, to a film but this idea that everything's got to be connected and there's got to be this big overarching puppet master who's yes, pulling all exactly. the strings and it's like I, I don't mind there being a puppet master like a Raul who's got his things but then for there to be an action that everything Raul did was to target Bond because Blofeld said so and also, it doesn't make sense. If, like, if the whole point was to try – Bond escaped death from all of those people. All three of those other villains tried and failed to kill Bond. So why did they bother trying? If it was all Blofeld's orders that eventually they would meet, yes, it's exactly. me, it's always been me, why? Why Why try to kill him off several and if times? You're being, if you're being very, very generous to the movie, you could say that Blofeld's lying. Like, he's, he's messing with Bond's head. Yep. But that's not what the movie is trying to make you think. Like that—that's just a way for me to justify yes. <laughs> everything that's happened oh, no, before. Just, like, oh, well, he's obviously lying. It was another bluff. He doesn't want. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to say all my previous assassins that I've sent after you have frigged up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's like, I've been trying to kill you for a long time, but you're quite good at not dying. Yeah. Uh, so, but also, I didn't want you to die because it's all about me torturing you. It was all part of my plan. And it's like, yeah, well, all the assassins you sent after him seemed pretty keen to kill him. Like, Le Chiffre was banging his balls with a bit of rope. Like, that did not seem <laughs> like just a harmless tickle. Although he does get spared in Casino Royale. Um, which we're told is at Vesper's uh, request, but who knows? And this is the thing. It kind of brings into some of those other established, mm. you know, facts. It brings it them into question. takes very good movies and actually makes them slightly worse. You're like, oh, man, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I do have other notes, but I'm interested in your minute challenge to, to stop me yelling and ranting for right. the yes. entire podcast. Okay. Well, I mean, the, the first, um, we, we've talked about it a bit already, but the first item on my list is uh, Back to Basics Bond. I really liked how the film very consciously says, okay, we're, we're this is a Bond film. Like, like we're going to do all the all the things that Bond films do, which is good. I, I like that. I, I go to a Bond film to see James Bond being James Bond, and this is definitely that. That's this. Can't, can't take points off the movie for that. Um, it's very mm. good. The next point I had was a halfway decent villain lair. I actually quite liked that they kind of they kind of had the outlandish villain lair in the middle of a meteorite crater. Yeah. Kind of harkened to a volcano base. Like there was yeah. a kind of bit of that. Yeah. Um, you know, he definitely, you know, he has a display room at the epicenter of the crater where he <laughs> shows off the meteorite that made it. I mean, that's, that that's was, great. I, I, like, I did I did find myself giggling and he just he's like this voice in the darkness going, touch it. Touch, touch it. it. Touch it. <laughs> How do I insist you touch it? <laughs> please, please touch it. Keep touching it. Yes. Excellent. Uh, yep. Yep. Just a little bit more. A little bit more. Take your ah. pants off while you touch it. Take off. <laughs> Just for but no, me. Love all that stuff. Love all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I did find his meeting, his, you know, I think they shot it at Blenheim Palace. It's supposed to be a place in Rome, but it, it was actually shot at Blenheim Palace in the UK, which is a home of the seat of Mar the Duke of Marlborough and uh, where Winston Churchill was born, very famous palace 
in uh, Oxfordshire, I think. Right. And so Blofeld's, you know, it's this giant big wooden table, like massive wooden table, and everyone's standing around on balconies and Bond's snuck in using his octopus ring. And Which, again, is very cool because, it, like, it throws back to the old, like, conference table um, sets yeah. of the old movies. I, it, I like that. It, it does a bit, but I have, stuff, right. I have to say I, I think I liked the way – that Quantum had the meeting of all of the high-powered. That was very cool, and that's something we hadn't seen from. before. Yeah, it, and it was a very interesting. And and the way that Bond disrupted that and then got the identities of various people mm. was very cool. Like it was actually him doing spycraft, which was very cool. Yes, but that's I, right. I do love I do love a big conference table with <laughs> evil people like reading out the minutes of meetings. Like yeah. I just love that stuff. You know, talking about 160,000 women they've sold into sex trafficking and... Yes, it was, uh, yes, exactly. But, but like, you know, the, the idea of, like, the, this, the this leisure, bureaucracy, the leisure bureaucracy of evil. That's right. And it's it's a banal evil. What, what yes. is it, Hannah, Hannah Arendt talking about the banality of evil? The way Exactly. They like, they're, 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 dealing, they're dealing with, like, the minutes of the last meeting and all that sort of yep. thing. They're talking about these horrific things. And then and then they get Dave Batista in to prove his qualifications to be the next head spy <laughs> or something, the next assassin or something. Which, again, yeah, well, I was going to say, so so he's going to be the official Spectre assassin. Yeah. And and I just love, it's like, does anyone have, does anyone want to show their credentials? And he's like, <laughs> yes, I'm going to murder this man. I just, yeah, I just, I'm going to go. better at killing. I'm just going to go full mountain uh, on Oberon <laughs> Terrell. Well, I did. So, so this was this was the last item on my list, but I'll mention it now because we're talking about Dave Batista. So I just sort of said, uh, jaws meet thumbs. <laughs> That's great. Well, he is, and he. I was reading about him. He he kind of they thought that he might not be interested in the part because there was no speaking apart from his final you know, an only line, which is shit. Um, but he actually quite liked that because he, he thought it was a bit of an homage to Jaws and also to Oddjob. And he sure. liked the idea yeah. of being able to portray that that uh, speechless villain. Uh, menacing. And I, I like that he's he's like terrifyingly unstoppable. Like, yeah. He's very he, good. I, I like him a he's lot. A, he's a juggernaut, bitch. Yes. Exactly. Um, if I can reach back for an early 2000s, mid 2000s reference. <laughs> but no, he's he's really he's really effective. I think like he he has this fun almost banter with Bond. Like they have a good back and forth. Like when when Bond uh, sort of uh, steals the plane to to follow them. Oh yes. They kind of have a little moment of like not at yeah. each other <laughs> and, and they then, start shooting and at each other. Bond starts shooting and he realizes the truck is you know bulletproof and bulletproof. just keeps shooting and then of course. I think his name is Mr. Hinks. Mr. Hinks? I think, yeah, that, that uh, is his character name. Yeah, that is never said on screen. Yeah. Uh, so he, just Dave Batista, he pulls out his gun <laughs> and then just starts firing at this plane, which is way more vulnerable than uh, the Yes, car. exactly. And Bond should know that, but I guess, you know, he's the worst spy. <laughs> he is the worst spy. Um, But I, I love that whole sequence, that whole sequence where he's chasing them in the plane. It's very James Bond. Like, like yeah. he's like, you're in a car. Okay, I'll go, I'll go steal a plane. And then the plane just disintegrates and the just wings come off. But he's, and but he's still chasing them. Off and, yeah. The yeah, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, um, it's, that whole sequence, great. Like again, most of the actual like set pieces in this movie, really good. I like them a lot. You know, oh, the it, car chase in Rome. The car chase in Rome. Car chase in Rome is great. So good. And what makes it so funny, and they really put jokes back into this film where yes. 
he stole 009's yeah. DB10. So it's been it's been optimized and it's not finished. Like he hasn't he hasn't doesn't have bullets loaded. That's right. It doesn't have bullets loaded, which he didn't do a test on. Again, <laughs> it's one of those things where Bond had I think he asked Q for 48 hours off the smart blood tracking system. Hmm. Which sounds like bullshit to me, son. But anyway, that's the future. That's but I'm okay with that because that's what Bond tends to do. It's technology that's like just out of reach, exactly. but it's plausible yeah. that MI6 might have this. So I'm totally. okay. It made me laugh because I'm like smart blood. Oh, you know that that lovely way where they talk about nanochips. In that is a that is a Roger blood. Moore era type thing. Yes. Like, yeah, and yes. I love it. I'm here for and it. And then and then they have the the short description of smart blood because everyone's like, oh, smartphone. Smart TV, smart exactly. watch. Smart blood. I can understand smart blood. So that was that was cute. But he, everyone just does whatever Bond says in this film. He's like, Money Penny's like, oh, I don't know. and he's like, look, do me a favor and you know go search things for me. And Q's, he's like, Q, do me a favor, make me disappear with this smart blood. And he's like, well, I've got cats to feed, Bond. And he's like, well, come on, do it for the cats. <laughs> Which, look, I appreciated the cat reference, sure. But um, everyone just does whatever Bond says. He's obviously that charming. Everyone's just like, sure, sure, Bond. So they're, they're in the car and he doesn't, he, he drives again. He's got 48 hours to where he's off the smart blood tracking but he steals the car and drives to Rome. Now, I don't know how long it takes to drive from London to Rome. Um, but it's I, more than, it would be more than two days. <laughs> I mean, unless you're driving at top speed the whole way and you don't have to stop and sleep, you know, maybe you could do it in a day. Sure. But he arrives looking fresh, perky. Maybe he's able to get on a plane and fly the car to Rome. Maybe, maybe he does that. <laughs> but they just never show it. So it's always, yeah. it, I've been talking about this since some of the Pierce Brosnan movies. They're like, where they like he turned up in Cuba with his freaking BMW. <laughs> with his BMW, exactly, yeah. But yeah, so they have the car chase, and if he was driving that whole time, he didn't check that the machinery was working. Yes. Like he didn't <laughs> flick on the radio at any point. Well, I mean, look, I kind of buy that because at this point, like Bond is basically Sterling Archer. Like it's it's very, <laughs> it's, you you definitely buy that he just he just goes in and then wings it if something goes wrong. <laughs> watch Archer I really must I've only seen a few episodes here and there oh it's very good yeah so I love that they had those little jokes where the things didn't work the way he wanted and he's trying to talk to Money Penny on the phone and get information and work out that the Pale King is Mr. White and oh coincidence you know bringing back another character <laughs> so he's he's trying to do admin essentially and deduction while in the middle of a high-speed car chase through yes. fairly <laughs> built-up uh, city streets so that was really fun to me. And then, of course, when he just ditches the car into the Tiber, I was just like, not the beautiful car. <laughs> and it is it is a beautiful I, car. I, and My God, Aston, the DB10. Oh, it's only Aston Martins that have this. I think they only built, like, those for the Bond film. Like, I think they were just a prototype and they've never actually been released. Mm. But I was reading somewhere here in my research, aka Wikipedia, that they spent something like £30 million or something just on here we go according to chief stunt coordinator gary powell filming the chase had the risk of skidding into the vatican and led to a record for smashing up cars seven aston martins in all with the film's car expenses estimated at 24 million pounds 48 million dollars jesus christ on aston martins and i was just like oh the beautiful car he just ditches it like i know how he feels i'm like oh god you just oh. and he says that at one point he's like it was only a three million dollar prototype Don't worry about those 
<laughs> but yeah, but there was a lot of humor in that in that back and forth. Well, exactly, and there's a lot of humor like at many points in the mm. film. Um, it's a very funny. It's it's funny in the way that Bond films are funny, which is which is it kind of throws back to that sort of lightness of touch that that a lot mm. of the earlier Bond films had, which is good. Like I want that. Like like not every not every Bond film should be a super serious dour spy thriller. The, you know, well, some of them should be talk, a bit fun. We've been talking about this that fun is something that the Craig films don't have as much of. And in some ways, people love that because they're more gritty and that sort of thing. But part of the Bond legacy, the film legacy, is the fun, the, you know. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, you finished your list? Uh, no, well, I was going to say, so, so I had I had Jaws Meet Thumbs. I had, well, I had, I wrote it and then I, as I'm reading it now, I think it sounds kind of harsh, but I just sort of wrote, you, madam, are no Tracy Bond. Uh, which, yes. of course, is Leah Sado as uh, Dr. Madeline Swan. Yeah. I think they do have chemistry. She's a lot younger than he is in a way that Tracy and um, George, Lazenby. George Lazenby at the time, they didn't feel as different in age as, as you know, Daniel Craig does with Leah Sado. There's a point where they go to Q's hotel room after that big chase mm. and through the snow and they walk in and I sort of looked at Ben Wishaw and looked at Leah Sado and went, oh, they're the same age. Yes, absolutely. Like, yeah. They look like contemporaries. And the Bond is like the grizzled super spy who's like protecting both of them. Like it's <laughs> it's not you don't automatically make a connection there. Although they do have pretty good chemistry on screen. I, I will give they, them that. like they, they they do, yeah. But I have some issues. <laughs> but I can get to that in my issues. But uh, finish your list. Uh, and then well, uh, and then the other uh, the other thing that I had was um, C stands for careless. Yeah, that uh, was good. Which yeah. is just the best line reading. Of all yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Look, I really, I enjoyed Ray Fiennes in this film. I know I've read some reviews where people said, oh, you really miss Judy Dench. And of course you do. It's Judy I mean, Dench. You, you miss, of course you miss Judy I, Dench. I'm, I, I miss her every day. You don't have Judy Dench. Yeah. But Ray Fiennes is fine in this Ray film. Fiennes although in, in a throwback to sort of uh, Desmond Llewellyn, no, not Desmond Llewellyn. Um, Bernard uh, Lee. Bernard Lee, exactly. Yeah. Um, Throwback to that sort of gr- gruff but uh, begrudging respect, you know, like, like he, yeah. uh, who actually sort of mucks in and, and gets gets involved. Like he's he's in the car this time. He's shooting at people. He was in the last film. Like he's a more hands-on M, which I quite like. Yeah, it feels a bit more that the team is all together in this yes, one. Exactly. And yeah, no. this is another one. I think I spoke last time about how, like, I really like, especially in the Daniel Craig films, you get this sense of there's a team. Mm. There's an MI6 team that sort of forms and they're all on display here. Even Tanner. Yeah. Tanner's sort of, uh, with them. Yeah, he's is- great. And he drives Bond into Q's new headquarters. And this is the thing. So MI6 is in the process of being merged with MI5 mm. and then as part of that there's um Moriarty turns up and <laughs> in one of the most obvious villain turns uh, ever like Andrew Scott at that point was had he, only played villains like he was, he was playing he was like known... high profile villains and they brought him on and they're like no he's a good guy in this one he's just like M but for everyone else and he just wants to keep the country safe that he says in incredibly menacingly subtextful speeches <laughs> and, you know. but now and as i said i think i've said this on a previous podcast now he's kind of almost better known as being the hot priest in fleabag well exactly yeah so maybe he maybe he could do this better maybe people who haven't seen yeah. him as as Moriarty and everything uh would get more out of this i think maybe yeah I don't know. but at the same time he just reeks of i'm the bad guy particularly because he's yeah. set up 
he's set up in opposition to M because M, as we know, starts with, and this this is on my list of notes that I was sort of writing down through the film, has, again, Bond is, damn it, Bond, I'm pulling you off duty. You're set, you've got to stay close to home. You're not allowed to do it. You're a rogue. You're Egos writing checks, your body can't cash. I think I've done that joke every time. <laughs> like, apart from Casino Royale, I think in every film since, Daniel Craig's, like, been off the books or on the lamb or... Yeah, yeah, um, he's never been just license on a mission. And, you know, just to, to backtrack a bit, but, like, why didn't he trust the new M with the previous M's message? Because it turns out that's why he was in Mexico, because M had sent him a message. After she died, somehow she had a, a, a note. She said... Go find this man, kill him, and don't miss the funeral. Why wouldn't he trust the new M with that? He got on. He they sort of had their forging of their friendship through Skyfall, and they shake yeah. hands at the end. And he's like, "Thanks, M. Let's get to work." And then all of a sudden, the first thing he's doing is going off on a secret mission to Mexico. <laughs> like, yes, why didn't he trust exactly. him? The whole thing would have been made a lot easier. <laughs> yes. Why? Well, you would you would have been able to shave forty five minutes off this film. Oh yes. That's a this is a two and a half hour film. That's twenty it minutes longer than Thunderbolt. Long film. By the time I realized that by the time he reaches Mr. White's cabin, we still have ninety minutes left of the film. Mm. We have an entire feature length film. Yeah. Length from that point. And it basically is a totally different film after that point. Yeah. It is it's long. I did feel it. And no time to buy is going to be even longer. <laughs> Jesus. So it's going to have to really pep up there. I, and I, I hope it's more in the Skyfall sort of. Uh, yeah, I do think things could have been cut from this too. I mean, I can't tell you what I'd have to go back and move, But there was certainly, I was like, I feel like this is dragging. Or the whole train probably sequence could have been cut down a bit, but then they have to have a glamorous scene at some point because it's a well, bond. And they, have to, they have to have time. They have to have downtime to get to know each other and have friendly banter. Yeah. And then also they have that cool fight, which that, is it cool. is a cool fight. But I just, one of the things that I noted, and I, I looked up this train. Apparently, it's called the Desert Orient Express or some Orient Express Desert or something like that. Right. Okay. And it's a tourist train that does use this very old track. Because Stu, I've been to Morocco and I've been on trains up and down Morocco. <laughs> you, you've said there is no fancy formal dining car. Mm-hmm. And you are not in a in a. You're cabin. not in white tie. You're not in what. So and this is the this is the thing that I know it's a Bond film. I know it's a Bond film. But they're literally going, you know, they've they've gone from Austria. They've had to go to Tangier. They've obviously had to get a new wardrobe, you know, for clothes that are suitable to the desert climate. But they've decided, oh, better get some black tie formal wear just in case. <laughs> and you see Bond giving the steward on the train, going, "Can you press this, please?" And then Leah Sadu turns up, full hair and makeup. So she's bought a full beauty sort of routine yes. I, I know i know this is a personal bugbear of yours it is a personal bugbear of mine but also to add to the annoying factor for me is when she turns up for dinner she has painted her nails red so sometime in that afternoon journey when she and bond like he's teaching <laughs> showing her how to use a gun turns out she already knows how to use a gun her nails i went back i rewound i looked at it her nails are clear unpainted and then when she turns up for dinner in the in the lounge in the fancy lounge dining cart she's got full nail polish on full face of makeup fully set hair styled hair like she couldn't have done that on the run getting like she would have had to carry a full set of makeup and hair styling tools blow dryers and stuff with her to do that 
Mm. I know it's a Bond film. I know I've got to. I've got to just. Live, <laughs> I've got to live the fantasy. I really. There is do. an element of um of suspension of disbelief. I know. I know. When it comes to pretty women in this film. I know. But I know. but you touched on an interesting point there, and I just want to I just want to quickly just address it. Can we can we deal with the fact that Bond hands her a loaded handgun? <laughs> like. As far as he knows, she doesn't know how to handle a gun. He gives her a loaded handgun. Uh, and luckily and says, it's before... and says, have at it, basically. Mm. Like, what? what is he going to get her to do with this gun that has bullets in it? <laughs> luckily it's before she sees the footage of her dad because his house was bugged. Yes, she- exactly. Well, I mean, that was weird too because I was like, his concern seemed to be that he didn't want her to see her dad her dad die but also there was the sense that what was said there was going to change their relationship but it yeah but it didn't didn't. at all like yeah when he was like don't show this don't show this i thought well is it maybe the fact that she gave he gave white the gun so white could kill himself but he was dying anyway he'd been poisoned exactly And, and then he kills himself and then it's just never brought up again. It doesn't. It doesn't. No, because that's the thing. I was like, oh, if you'd had seen that, and you go, oh my, I'm trying to think of another example where, uh, oh, say Barbara Buck in The Spy Who Loved Me, hmm. when she works out that Roger Moore killed her fiance, and is totally and yeah, like, and there's there's consequences. There's however. a consequence, which is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is um, well, this is the this is the game. This is the this is the deal. We both knew that, and I'd do and it, it again. It changes their relationship going forward. Like ultimately, yeah. they end up getting together because it's a bond. It's film. a bond movie, but, yeah. But, but the movie takes its time to deal with that wrinkle. They give her the respect of having an opinion about sure. that being changed by that. Exactly. Whereas in this one, it's like, oh no, I just don't want you to see your dad shoot himself. Look at me. Look at me. But she. Yeah, there's nothing that he says there that would, if he had said, you know what, I'm going to go and find your daughter and then I'm going to have sex with her and by that I will make her attached to me. So then, I, you know, if he'd said something more. Yeah, like, like something like I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, she'll trust me. I know how to, I know how to get women yeah, to trust me or whatever. That's right. Like or, that. you know, don't worry, I've already loved once, I'll never love again or uh, <laughs> Yeah. something whereas it's just him going You're something that would have affected their relationship but there was just nothing and, and yet the movie treated yeah. it like it was supposed to have affected their relationship yeah and then it didn't yeah and then it just never came up again in fact and she also, in fact she then you know tells him she loves him and they've known each other what maybe a week yeah yeah yeah, absolutely as they say in speed relationships developed under extreme pressures <laughs> yeah. uh, possibly not sustainable sure Again, it's like. But then the other thing is that the the torture scene, which which is unsettling, which I, I will give the movie that it, it's it's novel. Uh, we haven't seen something particularly like this before. I know. I I did have some questions about it, mainly, which is what the hell was going on? Like what? Was- yeah, like like apparently he's touching like nerve clusters and stuff. It's like, well, first of all, I mean, he's drilling into his skull, so I mean, of course, it's going to hurt but then he says especially the second one he's touching like a nerve cluster that'll stop him from recognizing people yeah so he will he will die not knowing who you are and it's like um, and then and then like he gets up and he's like nope i'm fine (laughs) i know your face like i must really love you if i know who you are Uh, but then he knows who everyone else is too (laughs) yeah so he's fine he like it didn't it didn't work i guess um cool like just, just like so many things in this movie, like these cool ideas that get set up, and then the movie's like, ah, it's fine, don't worry about it, moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, there were a few. There were a few of those. I've, I've got a few more of those too. Mm. Have you finished? I keep asking, but I don't have. No, you I'm, I'm your... done with my list. Oh, I'm, you're done I'm with your to, list. I'm okay. on to like the airing of grievances at this Gen- point. <laughs> well, yes. Just to, to go back to Andrew Scott, I had that he's you know clearly a bad guy because he's set up in relation in direct opposition to M, and so even though M is in opposition to Bond, going hey, don't do what you do, Bond, even though that's exactly why we have you on staff because you follow <laughs> your instincts and you do what you do, and I should probably exactly. trust you. But also, why didn't you trust me? Why didn't you trust him? It would have made everything so much easier. Because <laughs> they end up being back and working together as a team anyway because they realise that they're being, you know, undermined by Andrew Scott's new Nine Eyes program. But how were all the, the terrorist attack that happened, you know, and then Bond realises when he drops in on that meeting that they're all related, there's something in Tunisia and something in Greece or something and anyway there's a there's a bunch of terrorist attacks happening and the one in Mexico City was a failed one they were supposed to blow up a stadium and Bond's like oh money penny they're all linked they're all this organization organizing and then they have the big vote on if they're going to all join this nine eyes program these nine different countries so they can all share their secret intelligence surveillance stuff and South Africa says no and then immediately South Africa has a terrorist attack sure yeah exactly like Nobody else in the government went, it's really strange, isn't it? Because they just voted no. Yeah, exactly. Like, it requires everyone else in the intelligence service to be like, well, I mean, what a perfect excuse for them to join. Yeah. And not examine that at all. Not not kind of go, gee, that's interesting timing, isn't it? Mm. And it's sort of dealt with very rushedly when, you know, obviously M's not been told about the meeting. He's like, have you not been told about the meeting? He's like, no. It's like, so South Africa said yes. Yes, well, who could blame them? And nobody figured, nobody else. Yeah, nobody's like. (laughs) Nobody went, well, that's really interesting timing and seems a bit sus. So that was one thing. (laughs) And and also, this is the thing. So the the point of this film is the, the villainous plot is government surveillance. And M sort of expresses concern about uh, having too much surveillance. And and that was supposed to be, I think, with this film, the topical, you know, the the, the villainous plan or the, the, the concern is surveillance in our lives. And, oh, my God, the government, they're going to take all that information and share it and all. But then it turns out not to be government, government at all. It's a sneaky cabal of supervillains who want it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it <laughs> totally kind of undercuts the whole the government is working against the people sort of. I think they were trying to set up. Exactly. Yeah, there's an extra layer here. Like, And what I think would have made this move, maybe it wouldn't have made it better, but it would have made it more interesting, I think, is that I think Andrew Scott should have been Blofeld. <gasps> Gee, there's a thought. Right? The Christoph Waltz figure is just like a figurehead. And it turns out, like, Blofeld has been hiding in plain sight the whole time. Mm. You know, and and he is Blofeld. And then his relationship to, to, to Bond and to MI6 is from an adversarial, you know, kind of secret intelligence thing and you don't need all this bullshit you don't need all this bullshit about a backstory and oh my daddy didn't love me like that's it exactly you know and you you can still have christoph waltz as like a blofeld type but you know it turns out he's just a figurehead to distract from the actual power behind the throne you know is it is it iron man where ben kingsley is like yeah 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 the crazy terrorist guy but it turns out he's just some cockney who was paid to yeah exactly yeah which um, I and, and, well, I, I don't want to like a, a full Ben Kingsley situation. Like, you know, I think, you know, I, I want, you know, Christoph Waltz to be a Blofeld type. Yes. I think 
it would be far more interesting for this modern interpretation to be like, oh, yes, I set up this, you know, supervillain for you to fight. So you could go and be distracted and fight this supervillain that you think you're saving the world from. And meanwhile, I'll take over everything. Because, and this is the thing, and we talked about it before with Spectre being this very banal, you know, firm of accountants, essentially, Mm. um, with the occasional horrid murder at their business meetings. It sounds like a few companies in Australia I couldn't (laughs) Sounds like a few corporate board meetings I've been to. (laughs) Uh, But but then you would actually then have the mild-mannered bean counter British Whitehall, because they even describe him as that, like Whitehall pen pusher. Yeah bland you know for, and and then that would make it more interesting because he's not he's not an uninteresting villain potential no, exactly it's just that he's so obviously and and this is the thing you're so right Stu. you're so right because you talked in the beginning of this podcast about lean into blofeld tell yeah. the fans the film is called specter for fuck's sake yes like and that, they apparently retooled specter so it's not an acronym anymore which makes me angry because it's the best Acronym, 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 special executive for counterintelligence, terrorism, revenge and extortion. That's what it does. And then they're like, oh, no, 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 we're not. It's just going to be called Spectre as an organization, like lowercase. It's not, you know, it's not the the acronym anymore. And it's like, no, that's what they're doing. They're carrying out terrorist attacks and doing counterintelligence and get that's what they're they're still doing. Okay, so. (laughs) <laughs> the film is called Spectre. The audience know they're going to get Blofeld because they've been around pop culture for the last 50 years. Yeah. Let them believe Blofeld is coming into the film. You've got your Christoph Waltz in the little Nehru jackets. So everyone's going, oh, my God, it's Christoph Waltz. He's playing Franz Oberhauer, but oh, he's actually going to be Blofeld. Or even just sell him as Blofeld. He's Christoph Waltz is going to be playing Blofeld. And then in the film, oh, my God, he's not – he's not – the real Blofeld, the real Blofeld is Andrew Scott was all along. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think that would have been really, really cool. <laughs> like, the other option is to go the other way and to make Andrew Scott not a villain, right? To make him, like, genuinely believe that this is something good for the world and then to have it all come crashing down because he's been manipulated into yes. doing this by this this evil mastermind. Yeah, and they You know, they never... unwittingly, he thought, he thought he was doing the right thing. Yes. But it turns out he's been working for the for the evil people this whole time. I think yeah. that would be far more interesting. Yeah, and, and, and they never meet. You never have any contact. No, no. Like just... Bond goes, oh, I assume C is one of yours, and Blofeld goes like, uh-huh. Yes, oh, yes, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. fine, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so full of chocolate. Um... Oh, I... <laughs> I've really put you through it, haven't I? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm so naughty. <laughs> Apologies to any Germans listening. We're not obviously uh, having a go at Germans. We're having a go at a very specific Christoph Waltz uh, character. (laughs) So, yeah, but but again, that could have been him going, oh, they told me that this would be good or that I'd just been doing this, I didn't realise I've been played and you were right, M, or something, and then, you know, either get killed or kill himself or something. Instead, he just kind of dies in a battle with M. Yeah, he kind of dies in a – he's like, yeah. It's like they had to give, he, he, they he had to give Ray Fine something to do. Yeah, and they, it's literally like a Holmes and Moriarty fight. They like yeah. Reichenbach falls in the new. He, he falls you know. off the bloody thing and, and yeah. falls to his death at the, at, the, at the bottom of the very tower he helped construct. Yeah. Uh, uh, hubris. Hubris. Yeah. So this this whole plot is about data and but there's no there's no laser there's no 
<laughs> well, I mean, the like the, the drill bits are the laser. Like, like I, I get that. That that that's. I know, that's the I know. It's data. It, data is the ultimate weapon. Sure. And I, I get that. But the other thing is, I feel like it doesn't have a punch to it because it was 2015, and already by 2015, we'd already handed all over our data to the government, to Facebook, <laughs> to Twitter, to Instagram. Well, I to mean, that's kind of the Russians. point that the movie is jumping on, but it, it was a little bit behind the zeitgeist in, in that way. Yeah, yeah. It, there's no, there's no, there's nothing unifying about oh, this data is going to like Sean Bean is going after data, but his whole thing is he's going to destroy the economic system. Of London, like sure. his his plan is very direct. It's very simple. It's probably easy to spoil, but it's a plan. Whereas this is, we just want data? Question mark profit? It's like yeah, that's right. Yeah, actually, that's a very good point. And and as you were saying that, I was like, wait, what? What is Blofeld's plan? And his plan is literally just to get control of the Nine Eyes surveillance network. So then he will be the center of. He'll have all the data in the world. Yeah. But again, his main plan seems to just be, you know, poking sticks at Bond for Mm. taking his daddy away. It it just undermines it so much. And there's no. uh, Bond doesn't really have to fight. I mean, he has to save Madeline from the rigged building at the end because he has a scene with Blofeld. Blofeld is somehow behind an impenetrable glass wall, and yet they can hear each other perfectly while speaking very softly. Mm hmm. No, I just want it in my head. Like, what? Sorry, what? I can't. I can't lip read. You're gonna. Can you sign? Can you hold up a? <laughs> can you write something on? I can't. What are you trying to do? But yeah. So that that was. But what else did he do? They had to. You know, Andrew Scott, Ray Fiennes got rid of him. Bond had to save Madeline. Oh, and then Blofeld. He he shot Blofeld down with his gun from a boat, and Blofeld crashed on the bridge. And he's literally just crawling away. Like, what was his plan? Why was he trying to crawl away? Like, you're not going to go anywhere, mate. The cops mm. are <laughs> What are you doing? Like, like and, yeah. And then I, like, I, I guess, like, he was he's, like, the ultimate survivor. He was trying to, like, take off, I guess. Yeah. Or, or And of all the people Bond could, like, legitimately just kill. And and it feels like Ray Fiennes is just standing there. M is just standing there waiting for him to kill Blofeld. Well, well that, that, that ties in thematically because, like, Ray Fiennes has that speech earlier in the film where he's like, you know, the, the point of having a license to kill is also having a oh, license yeah. not to kill. Yeah. And so Bond makes his choice. Like, Bond that, was like, yeah. you know what? I you like you kind of win in a way because like we've just executed a man in the street (laughs) like so instead like i'm going to let you go and you're going to be tried for your crimes which are many and you're going to sit in a bloody hannibal lecter prison and wait for the next movie yeah (laughs) and i'm gonna walk off with my beautiful lady and i'm gonna walk off in what i'm sure will be my final film (laughs) so so yeah i don't know I, mean, um, I, I didn't hate that he didn't like shoot him in the face. Like it didn't like, like oh. that made sense to me. Like, like I got that. Like he, and Blofeld, obviously, you know, that, that was part of his thing where he's like, you know, oh, you, you need to finish it. You know, you know, you finish, finish, finish the, the story. And he's like, no, you, you don't matter to me. Like, I don't, it's you, like, you're, I had forgotten that you existed until, you know, you set up an entire secret organization to kill me and you couldn't do it. And now I'm going to walk away and forget about you again. I think that's very good. It's just that, yeah, the third act of the movie is very bad. <laughs> Yeah, I get why he didn't shoot him thematically. It does make sense. But when you think of all the people that Bond, you know, probably had an option to not kill. <laughs> sure. 
that's true. <laughs> Although they were probably sacrificed in the business of doing his job and, and surviving. But yeah, and then it's like, oh, here's the mega criminal who's essentially taken responsibility for the death of Vesper Lind, the death of M. The, you know, I, how did no, he know, I, M, I, I how did he know like, M was going to die? How did he know M was going to die? M died because of an accident. She was shot by accident up in Skyfall. She got accidentally hit and then passed away. Like, Raul didn't. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that doesn't I, make any sense. And again, like, you could be very, very charitable and say that uh, he's yeah, lying I'm, or he's I'm, taking credit for stuff that, like, just worked right. out. That's right. Yeah, he's he's definitely doing that. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he takes them around their base and he doesn't even have any goons in matching jumpsuits. He does outside. Outside, everyone's in the sun, but they're all in, like, black camouflage, like, like black yeah. tactical gear. And he does have that one guy who's, like, in, like, a similar outfit to him. Yeah, like yeah. He's got, like, a weirdly brown suit on. Yeah. But, no, you, you're right. And, and the closest they come is in the data room where everyone's sort of in a similar mm. uh, things. But but you're right. I, I would have liked to see some jumpsuit action. Yeah. <laughs> you're bringing back a base. Get some jumpsuits. That's it. Get, get some henchmen in jumpsuits. Like, <laughs> let's, let's go the whole hog. Okay. So other things that I noted down, I talked about the nail polish. Other thing. Q turns up at the clinic where Madeline Swan is. Love a bit of Q in the field. I like Q right. in the yeah. field. But do you not remember in Skyfall, it's Money Penny who goes into the field because Q is scared of flying. <laughs> <laughs> and yet one film later, Q has flown to Austria. Uh, sure. To see. It's just something I noticed. Yeah. It was no, just something it, I noticed. To be honest, that's more Skyfall's fault than this movie's fault. But anyway. <laughs> Why was Bond's flat kind of deserted and a bit crap? I do, uh, I do it's understand. A metaphor for his life. No, I like. know, and I it does suit the Daniel Craig Bond. It does suit, but you're also talking about classic Bond loves things of taste, and he he in Quantum of Solace he refuses to stay at a hotel because it's not fancy enough. I feel like I know that. Yeah, it's a metaphor. Well, also, I mean, having said that, yeah, but um, this is like post like, his entire life. Yeah, that's like, right. They did. Yeah. Okay. So I think this is just. All right, that's fair. That makes sense. That makes sense. You can pull me up on that. That that does make sense. Why? I think it would, it would jar. It would jar with every other bond, but but this one it works. It does make sense. Okay, fair enough. You've corrected me on that. I am happy to move on. Uh, <laughs> why is so the the big linchpin for. Andrew Scott, Moriarty, C, etc. He says to M, you can't control your own staff. And he plays a clip of Moneypenny and Bond talking yes. while he's driving in the car chase, talking about Mr. White and that sort of thing. And obviously M doesn't know that they've been doing this. So the first thing is there's no real consequence from that. You never see M like have a go at his staff for helping Bond until the point where he says, we can't help him. He's on his own. C is watching everything we do. But he never he never tells them, because you guys are doing all this stuff and not telling me. Mm. But also, Bond specifically gave Moneypenny a burner phone. Like she opens a present on her desk and it's a phone. I assume yeah. that it's like a burner phone. Sure. And yet Nine Eyes is able to trace that as well. How do I they know think. about it? Yep. How do they? Nope, it's, it's good questions. <laughs> the other thing is, let's talk about Monica Bellucci, the famous oldest Bond girl. Uh, at 50 i mean who i mean let's let's get it out of the way is is an absolute smoke show like she is yeah so and, <laughs> she, and surprising that she hasn't been in a bond film before this one 
Well, I think we talked about uh, with the the world is not enough. She actually no, sorry. I think it's actually tomorrow never dies. She was in the running to play Paris Carver. She should have been. She should have been in that one. She should have been. But then they they chose Terry Hatcher. What happens to her? Like the whole point of her character is that she was doomed because her husband had been assassinated and he was an assassin. And so the only reason she had protection was because she was married to him, even though she hated him. I assume that they didn't get on, but because they were married, she had some sort of protection. And so... Now, now that he's dead, she knows too much, so they're going to go and kill her. But why, why, like, wouldn't she... Why does his death matter to that? Like, is it whole, like, well, he's a well, man, he's because... under control? Well, no, 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 but because, like, he was Spectre's assassin, and she knew that. Like, she, she was aware of what her husband did, and so they just view her as a loose end after he's gone. Mm. So Bond says, here, call my friend Felix. They they have some fairly steamy sex up against a mirror, who's the fairest of them all. But uh, and then <laughs> and then and then he says he, he leaves her and says, look, here's a number. Call my friend Felix. He'll get you out. Sure. And then he okay. just leaves. Yeah. So what's what's to stop someone just rocking? Like we never see what happens to her. Like did she? Does I mean, she nothing. Die? I mean, we're, we're to assume that Felix Leiter came and sorted it all out. Yeah, and also he undressed her and she had nothing on under her dress. And then when he leaves, she's wearing an extremely tightly laced corset yes, that was sort a, that of was teddy number with stockings and stuff like Maybe. that. I'm like, wouldn't you just be nude if you've just been having some, you know, sexy bond times? Well, maybe maybe they maybe they they put that back on. Yeah. yeah put, put, take that off, but put that one on. <laughs> put that one on. That's working. Uh, okay. And then the other sexy times are in the train. I do like just yeah. to, just to quickly quickly address like they definitely make the intimation that their lovemaking lasts for about five minutes because they she even says like we, we've only got about five minutes and he's like well time for a drink and then off off they go. Oh Monica you know, Bellucci yeah. Monica Bellucci yeah 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 so he's <laughs> he's literally just like da 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 okay we're done excellent somehow you're in a corset now great awesome. <laughs> Call my friend Felix. Bye. Bye. See ya. Good luck with everything. Yeah. And particularly since she'd just been saying, you know, oh, my husband preferred to spend time with Spectre than with me. And he's like, the man's a fool. I'm going to kiss you passionately with tongue. <laughs> and then, uh, okay, got to go now. She's like, don't go. They'll kill you. And he's like, I've got to go. Sorry. That's just what it's what I have to do. So you're telling me you have to hang out with them more than you want to hang out with me. Yes, yeah, sorry. I Look, I lied. Um I just wanted to kind of get you into bed. Uh, it's true because like there's awkward. no there's no reason at that point. Normally Daniel Craig Bond is sleeping with women as a means to an end or because he's genuinely, you know, into them. Whereas yeah. this is maybe the only example of Bond just taking a pit stop. <laughs> like just taking a quick like, sure, I mean you're hot, so well, like was, let's let's get it on. He was trying to get information from her but he already had the information he, he had, had that information that that information had been given to him yeah and then he was like oh while i'm here yeah look you're monica bellucci <laughs> and, it, and it, it it was it was really touted as like oh my god it's monica bellucci she's a bond girl and she's really not in it for very long she's in the film for five minutes yeah it's it's they crazy. would have filmed it all in a couple of days and yeah. she would have got a nice tidy paycheck and yeah so what do you make of leah sadu as dr um, madeline swan yeah, well, I mean, as I as I said before, uh, she's no Tracy Bond. Tracy mm. Bond is great, and she is pretty good. And they're obviously trying to do a very similar thing with her. She she can handle herself. She's smart. She she's 
Bond's equal in many ways, but still, you know, needs to be rescued by him every once in a while because it's yeah. still a Bond film. It's his name on the cover. So I mean, I, I don't, I don't hate her. I don't hate her at all. I think, I think she mm. and um, Daniel Craig have some good, good chemistry. Yeah, for all my ribbing of Vesper Lind and Eva Green, Madeline Swan does seem a bit bland by comparison. Totally. But that is yeah, by yeah. I, I buy I buy Daniel Craig's Bond and Eva Green's Vesper Lind way more than these two. Yeah. They definitely, yeah, exactly. Um, although it is it is a great, like, like, honestly, it's a good bit where they collectively beat the shit out of and, and eventually kill uh, Hinks. Oh, yes, yeah. And then he's like, so what do we do now? And yeah. They, and so they, she they, says that, and then he just looks at her. He just looks at and her. And then, they're, and then they're Mackinon. They are, they are devouring each other. Um, <laughs> well, they so, didn't get like, to dinner. They, well, exactly, you know, yeah. You would you'd be hungry. Kicked over the table before uh, they finished finish those martinis. That's right. And But, I mean, the conversation that they have, it's not super deep, it's one of those conversations that Bond tends to have with a lot of, you know, women, which is like, what about this life? What would you, you know, what would it be like if you they didn't have, a, have this they life? They have a far more concise and effective version of this in Casino Royale, and it's on a train. It's yeah. It's the exact yeah. same setting. Yeah. And his conversation with Vespa is so much more concise and revealing yeah. and, a lot and more says product. so much more about both characters. And it had a lot more product placement. Well, that's true. Yes, there, there wasn't there wasn't a, an ad for Omega in the middle of this one. <laughs> so I'm 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 still processing it. Like I didn't I didn't hate it overall as much as I. It's like, not the worst Bond film by any stretch. No, of the I, I look. I've got to be honest with you, Stu. As, as we move towards wrapping up, I did sort of have designs on putting this last. <laughs> kind of in my like, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put Spectre last. I'm going to do it. And I I do think that it will be down on my list because I can't forgive the Blofeld stuff. It's just so... It's the movie's big fatal flaw. It's a massive flaw. It undermines so much else of what was there. And and that's why it was fascinating to me to re-watch the, the movie because I remember I, I was watching it going, actually, this is a lot of fun. Like, have I have I been down on this movie, like, unreasonably? Yeah. And then we get to the Blofeld stuff and it's just like, oh, yeah, no, this this completely shits the bed at this point. Yeah, like, and right. it never recovers. Like, I was just even thinking about when they go to Morocco to go to La Maricaine, they find yeah. La and it's his secret, like, white secret base where he has mm. a torture tape of Vesper Lind and sure. he obviously operated out of there or something. And then Bond is, like, drunkenly threatening a mouse with his gun. Going, oh, that's, that's a good bit. Who oh, sent you? Who are you working for? Like, yeah, there's some lovely little moments in it uh, that I had forgotten and enjoyed and laughed at. And then uh, the Blofeld thing, you know, I remember so clearly at the time being so frustrated by that because I'm yeah. like, not everything has to have a reason. Not everything has to have an emotional connection to and, – and that sort of goes back to what I was just talking about with, with Sherlock and why I like the kind of ribbing the Stephen Moffat, Matt Gaddis series is because it's like – I just want to see Sherlock Holmes solve crimes. Yes, yeah, yeah. I don't want to see him get into a psychodrama about him and and, and, uh, Watson's relationship. His Moriarty kills himself, shoots himself in the head just to – Spoilers. Well, sorry, spoilers for 2012 or whatever. Just to to mess with Sherlock's mind. And then it's never really explained how Moriarty is still doing stuff. And I mean kind of but not very well. And But why does Moriarty have to – be so 
just solve some puzzles, Sherlock. It's okay. <laughs> like, they, they just want to go, ah, oh, we're cleverer. We're going to make this extra clever and lay down all these clues. And there's going to be all this overarching plot. And if you put it together and you'll see how it all connects. And it's like, I don't want it to connect. I just want to see Sherlock Holmes solving some crimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I love overarching stuff as much as the next person. Fine. But I'm also quite happy for things to be standalone. And I do hope that after the Craig era, we just get some Bond movies that are just a good spy thriller. Yeah, exactly. Like to to look forward to No Time to Die. Like it seems like this is like that's another one in this sort of mold where they're sort of examining who James Bond is and, and how he fits in the world and that sort of thing. And it's like. Well, after back- this, and I hope that's good. I hope it's. It yeah. seems like it might be. Yeah. After this, I would like to just have a James Bond movie again, please. Like just yeah. the, that's just James Bond. Like like we get it, we understand. Like you can update it, or you can throw it back, or you can you can twist it around a little, or do what you want with it. But I, I just want a James Bond movie, and that would be really good. Um, because I do like them for all their flaws and and you know all the all the weird twists and turns that the the franchise has gone on. I do like this series. Yeah, um, I know. I, I know it. lots of people don't for many valid reasons, but yeah. I really, really do. And certain films in this in this series make me very, very happy to watch. They are just very satisfying and nice. And I'd like another one of them. That'd be yeah. good. <laughs> For sure. Should we talk about the rain? (laughs) I mean, what what more is there left to say than Uh, that? (laughs) I was reading about this, and I think I probably have mentioned this before, but just to really hit home to people, that Thomas Newman came back. He had done the composition on Skyfall, friend of Sam Mendes, and Sam Mendes came back as director, and he's the first director to come back to do sort of two Bond films in a row since John Glenn did his big Mm. one of five films in the 80s. And so he brought Thomas Newman back again. The English band Radiohead were commissioned to write the title song and they submitted an unreleased song that they'd written in the 90s called Man of War. The song was rejected as it had not been written for the film and therefore was ineligible for the best Oscar for best original song. Of course, that's what they want now, like, are probably never going to win Best Picture or that kind of thing, but they can win things like Best Song and some of those sorts of things. Best cinematography and... Yeah, potentially. So they wrote a song called Spectre, and I highly recommend people YouTube this. It's on YouTube, and it's also some very clever people have done that thing where they 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 take the opening credits of Skyfall, oh, sorry, of Spectre and put this song under it instead of the Sam Smith song. Right. And it works really well, I think, with the title sequence. Like it, yeah, it it was rejected though as being too melancholy. And so then, <laughs> yeah. Which is just, okay, sure. Yeah. So this is, this is the and bouncy, upbeat version of the theme. Yeah, so this is what happened. In September 2015, this is according to my research, a.k.a. Wikipedia, Eon announced in September 2015 that Sam Smith had recorded the title theme, Writings on the Wall. Smith said the co- song came together in one session and that he and regular collaborator Jimmy Napes wrote it in under half an hour before recording a demo. Satisfied with the quality, the filmmakers used the demo in the final release. <gasps> Hang on, so so the so the, what you're hearing is a less than thirty minute dash off with a biro quick job that Sam Smith belted out within an hour, <laughs> and they went, you know what, that's fine. It's like, guys, it's a Bond film. Put in some bloody effort, you idiots. And 
And the only part of the song that I like is like the um, there's like a little bit sort of the pre-chorus is kind of like if I lose it all this sort of this rising like bold like na da 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 there's that that little bit that's the only bit of this song I like everything else about it I hate I just I hate listening to it I hate you know like where do I live God, I'm so shit. <laughs> and then, like, for you, I have to risk it all. Ah, this is not James Bond. And the, and the opening titles are great. It's Daniel Kleinman back. It's freaking octopuses, you know, running around the screen, yeah. sliding their tentacles up Daniel Craig's body. And then there's, again, it gives the whole kind of movie away if you look into it that much. But And then Blofeld, you see, shadowed, you know, you don't see his face, you just see his outline. And Leah Sadu and Bond are, like, falling down a, something together. Gives away the whole film, but that's what they seem to do now. Um, but... <sighs> Yeah, so the, the Radiohead song, yes, if you go and listen to it, it's Radiohead. It's hardly bombastic Shirley Bassey number, but it's a really interesting song. And it also actually uses the word spectre. It has a sort of phrase of like, spectre is, has come for me. I just highly recommend going and listening to it. It's just really atmospheric. And if you're going to go with a more you know, moody kind of vibe, and you've got Radiohead. Why are you not going with Radiohead? <laughs> and I'm not even, I know some Radiohead. I'm not a diehard fan, but it's it's Radiohead. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, they, they often seem to go with, like, a bit more of a, a zeitgeisty person. Oh, yeah. Except and when they're getting you know, Shirley Bassey back to, to do... To do another yeah. version. And Sam so, Smith is yeah. famous for like 10 minutes at that point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like at that point, Sam Smith was like a big deal. He has since, like as far as I can tell, like faded into obscurity. But then I, I'm not great with keeping you know, up with pop music. Keeping well, up with, apparently, uh, I just, I've just gone to his Wikipedia page. He's only 28 now. So he oh was only God. like 22, 23 when he wrote this song. Jesus right. freaking hell. He was born in 1992. <laughs> ugh, ugh. So let me just uh, find. The Skyfall entrance. No, not Skyfall. Spectre entrance. Let me just find the Spectre entrance. Here we go. It was the first James Bond song to reach number one in the UK. Well, that is depressing as hell. (laughs) My goodness. It won the Academy Award for Best Original Song. There's no real extra information about how they made the song, so I'm going to assume that it was because they dashed it off in half an hour, recorded it, and went, yeah, fine, let's just do it. (laughs) That's what angers me so much. It angers it angers me so much. So much to you. I can't even. And then the Billie Eilish one, unfortunately, as we listen to it, is, again, she's Zeke Geisty, so I can see why they went with her. But it's, it's a bit. It's another It's another sort of downbeat Bond intro. And yeah. I, I just, you know, it's obviously a theme that they're going for at the moment. Um, and I really hope it goes away once the Craig era ends and they yeah. go back to something a bit more upbeat and brassy and, and fun. Yeah. I wonder, will they be able to nominate Billie Eilish's song for the Oscars? Because if they're releasing No Time to Die next year now, it well, would be eligible for any awards until uh, the 2022 Oscars. But they've already yes, released well, well, exactly, the song. Yeah, yeah. But, so, but I think, um, have they released it as a single? or? Well, it's out. Like, they released it before coronavirus hit, and I guess they, they thought, you know, let's get some pre-sizzle. 
Yeah, that's a good but point. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure how that works. Maybe everyone gets a mulligan because of coronavirus year. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, there was something else I was going to tell you about this film, which I thought was really, really interesting. And that is that, you know, that massive parade for Day of the Death that they had uh, for the opening pre-credit sequence. Yeah. Apparently that was totally made up for the film. That kind oh. of parade didn't exist but they really wanted to play with the Day of the Death, uh, Day of the Dead uh, idea, and they, you know. Well, it, it reads, I mean, it, it's more like a carnival sort of um, yeah. parade, except everyone's in, like, Day of the Dead um, yeah, costumes. Yeah, that's right. It's like Junkanoo or what else, the um, carnival from Moonraker. They've done that before. So it, it makes total sense, and it looks great, but it wasn't actually something that took place. But... In 2016, due to the interest raised by Spectre and the government's desire to promote pre-Hispanic Mexican culture, federal and local authorities decided to organise an actual Dia de Muertos parade through the Paso de la Reforma and Centro Histórico on the 29th of October 2016, which was attended by 250,000 people. Jesus! So it became a thing. I don't know if it's still a thing. The Wikipedia entry doesn't doesn't uh, mention, but, but it actually became a thing based on the Bond movie. I thought that was great. That like, is very cool. You know, rather than taking something they created. Because to me, I just assumed, oh, well, that's clearly like a really fun Mexican event. I'm sure they have stuff for Dia de Muertos, but, you know, to actually have a an event that Bond created, they've become a real thing. <laughs> it was really cool. And so that maybe cool. that is the best legacy of this film. <laughs> <laughs> they, they inspired a fun party on a holiday that already existed. <laughs> now, Stu, we need to talk about where we're going to rank this film. Was there anything else? I don't know. I feel... No, I've kind of said it. Like, like this movie, like I said, there's about three quarters of a really good Bond movie in here and the quarter that doesn't work just dr- kills the film dead. I think it's a, a, a very noble failure. <laughs> 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 I don't, I feel like it's an ignoble success. Is that, oh, okay. No, All right. No, no, no. I, I, I'm trying to come at it a slightly different way. I think that there's lots of it that worked for me, but I can't abide by the way that they treated Blofeld. It just it colours everything for me. Yeah, well, um, they, they finally, finally got Blofeld back. The rights to Blofeld and Spectre, their main villains – Right, like, like mm-hmm. I know in the books, like you know that they kind of books, uh, uh, and then they're kind of not in many of the others. But over the years, like James Bond and Blofeld have become sort of like Holmes and Moriarty, you know. And it's like if you could make a, a Sherlock Holmes like movie, but you weren't allowed to use Moriarty at all. Mm. They go together, and they finally get them back. And this is what they chose to do with it, and it just really frustrates the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> just like, and, and it's canon now. Like, like, so he's gonna be in the next film, and it's this version of Blofeld. Yeah. Like, it's it's like great, awesome, cool. Yeah. Wow. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> Thanks. I hate it. Yeah. Like, just. Ugh. I do wonder because the No Time to Die was being recorded or filmed, I should say, under the title of working title of Shatterhand. And as we discussed during yes. You Only Live Twice, Shatterhand was a name that Blofeld adopted when he was going mad living in a Japanese castle in You Only Live Twice. And as we agreed, which would have made a much better movie. Well, this is what I'm thinking. I wonder if they've drawn, if they're using the working Possibly. title Shatterhand, what could they have drawn from that to either imbue Blofeld with that? For Blo- I assume Blofeld will turn up 
in a sort of a cameo kind of a because we've got Safin who's the main villain. So I assume uh, unless Safin is yet another of Blofeld's puppets. Oh look, he probably will be, won't he? Blofeld sure. will be organizing everything from prison. It yeah. was me, James. <laughs> cuckoo, cuckoo. Cuckoo. And just the use of cuckoo. I mean, we didn't even really talk about that, even though that's I mean thematically it works. Like I understand yeah. I understand the point of it. It's just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, yes, I'm a feared Bond villain going, cuckoo, cuckoo. I, I don't know. And in a better was, film, it would have worked. And the way he was torturing Bond, like, in front of Madeline Swan, and, and then they had the watch. She had the watch that would blow up. So, uh, I don't know. It, it, it very much lost. I feel like definitely by the train trip, it had kind of lost a lot for me, but probably earlier than that. For me, it goes off the rails once they hit. Blofeld's lair. Everything from that point on is garbage. You, you mean his big lair in his, his big volcano lair? Yeah, his big right. crater lair. That, and that's what I mean. So the train journey is kind of just ahead of that. Yes, exactly. So yeah, I, they're on their way yeah. to the movie going off the rails. <laughs> Literally on a train. Exactly. Did not stick to the rails. <laughs> so my my point is, with no time to die, I wonder if they're going to keep some of those elements of, you know, Safin taking on a different name, maybe pretending to be something he's not. I'm just interested at all. Like, Yeah, maybe. If they use that term just because it's a term or if there's some backstory to it. Like, it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if they draw that in. But we will not see it until April 2021. Hopefully, hopefully. It's, I mean, it's, fingers crossed. There's sort of all these cinema chains that are now closing or reducing hours and all that sort of stuff are all saying, oh, it's because Bond isn't coming out. But now, I mean, now that the UK is going back into lockdown and America is still kind of surging, they really had no other choice, did they? They kind of No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if they brought it out now, no one goes to the theatre and that basically sinks Eon, because I don't know whether we've yeah. talked about this on the on the pod or not, but, like, this is what Eon does. It makes Bond films. Mm. And they cost a lot of money now. Mm. And if they don't make their money back, we don't get any more Bond films for the time <laughs> being. You know, like, it just, it's not going to happen. So, yeah, like, like, they're hedging their bets and hoping they can release it wide next year. And hopefully they can. Well, I was just kind of yeah. looking here on the box office because this film actually didn't do as well as Skyfall, but it is still the second highest grossing James Bond film after Skyfall. It is, although it was a um, it was a crazy year for movies. Uh, was it? Are you looking at the top ten? No, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page of box office reception. Oh, right. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, like Take me through the it, highest Steve. grossing films of 2015, number one, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Oh, the, yeah. The rebirth of, of the Star Wars franchise, for better or worse. Uh, that that ended up making two billion dollars. At the box office. How is that a thing? Number two is Jurassic World, which made one point six billion dollars. Jesus. Number three, a film which I deeply love, Furious Seven, is number three that year. It made one point five billion dollars worldwide. I, what? I've never heard of this film. Furious Fur- Seven, the Fast and the Furious movies. Oh, Fast and the Furious. Yeah, the, the okay. Seventh um, one of them. The seventh. <laughs> one of them. I've heard that they're ending that somehow franchise. the best and made one point five billion dollars. I've heard that they're ending that franchise. Is that did you see that this week? They're, they're making a ninth one. In fact, I think most of it's shot. Yeah, no, I thought that they said like the franchise they were going to bring it to a close. October 2020, Fast and Furious franchise ending after two more movies. Right. Make of that what you will. Oh, that was the threat. But I, um, I, we should watch those films probably. We absolutely because... should. <laughs> 
I would be more than happy to take you through those films. Because I remember they were like a bit dodgy and then all of a sudden they've just become crazy. They are fascinating actually in that they start off like the Fast and the Furious, as has been pointed out by many funnier people than me, is Point Break with cars. That's literally what that movie is. It, it's it's a ripoff of Point Break, except they're car thieves instead of instead of like whatever the, whatever they were in Point Break, like like diamond thieves. But they become these insane movies, crazy, <laughs> amazing, ridiculous, <laughs> over the top action movies in a way that you, no one else makes. No one else makes movies like the Fast and the Furious movies. They are incredible, and they somehow get better to the point where the seventh film in a franchise, instead of being a straight-to-DVD oddity, makes $1.5 billion at the movies, and is is arguably the best entry in the franchise. That's great. Like, what, what could possibly have happened there? It's insane. It's this insane phenomenon that I would love to dig into. Are they um, good? As I said, they get progressively better for me, both in terms of, like, competence. You get the sense that the filmmakers increasingly gain an understanding of what works about these movies, and they put all of their efforts into propping that up. That sounds great. Yes, I, it, I, it is. They're great. <laughs> I feel like, no, but, and this is what I feel like sometimes is missing from some of the Craig Bond films is going, you know what really works about Bond movies? Let's not do that. Yeah, let's, let's do something else just to be like subversive. Let's do some other things, but then let's try and pull back some original stuff, but do it in a different way. And uh, so I, the, the idea that people have gone, you know what people want? is cheesy and do they, are they are these movies do they stand alone like could i watch furious 7 having not seen the previous six furious movies yeah i reckon you probably could although although it's more fun to sort of approach it, it it's as we've discovered with the bond films like they definitely build on each other there's stuff that happens that is in reaction to things that happen in previous movies and stuff like that and not not in terms of plot but just like the films get bigger and stupider and crazier uh you know in a way in a way that's hard to pass if you just sort of launch into furious seven <laughs> so they they build the believability web exactly yes and, like, like yeah. as, as I, i've described it previously like they start out as car thieves and by furious seven these are basically superhero movies <laughs> Right. Like as soon as any of these people gets in a car, they're a superhero. The, the way the movie like treats them, the things that they do, you're basically watching an Avengers movie, <laughs> which is incredible. It's just amazing. Yeah. Speaking of which, number four on the box office is Avengers Age of Ultron. This was an wow. insane movie for movies. Yeah. For that, being, only made, that only made yeah. number four. Avengers, the first Avengers was like the top of its year. Yes, yes. Um, this was number four. Number five is the Minions movie. What? At $1.1 billion, Natalie. The Minions movie. The Obviously first... a, lot of, a lot of desperate parents out there needing... Yeah. Well, I don't even know what minions are. They're like little yellow, one-eyed, weird monsters. They, it is a spin-off prequel to the Despicable Me franchise, where they're, they're little henchmen to his, like, evil villain yeah. sort of I thing. Just, I mostly know them from being memed. People will sure. get a picture yeah, of a minion and then... Like this insane meme. But it doesn't make any sense. Someone will say, no. oh, early to bed, early to rise. But why would you want to do that? Picture of a minion, and then it gets like 700 likes. I'm yeah. like, I don't understand you people. Yeah, the internet is an insane and stupid place. <laughs> um, number six at the box office this year was Spectre with wow. just, un- just under a billion. So it didn't make a yeah. billion dollars. It made it's $880 like, million. Dollars. Um, what, a, number seven, what a poor showing. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, what a poor showing. What a terrible return. Yeah. Um, number seven is Inside Out uh, from Disney. That's a Pixar movie. Number eight, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which is a very uh, James Bondy sort of movie itself. Uh, number nine, The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. And then number 10, The Martian. So that's the top 10 uh, of the year. I've, yeah, I've seen The Martian. I actually don't think I've seen The Hunger Games Part 2. I've seen all the other ones because I watched them on planes. That, right. kind, that kind of became my thing. It was like, oh, yeah. there's a Hunger Games movie. I'll watch it on this plane trip. <laughs> but then I hadn't I, – I don't – I think I missed the window where a, where a, the second one was on, on a flight. So – and I just – I've missed it. So I'll have to – the next time I can take a plane, hopefully, in the, sometime in the next – 50 years, try to watch Hunger Games Part 2. I feel it's appropriate. I have to watch it on a plane because that's where I watched all the others. But uh, I, I haven't seen any Mission Impossibles, I think, since the third one. But I understand that they've kind of gotten – like, they get better and better. People love, seem to love them they've more. Gotten, they've gotten better and better as well, based mostly around the fact that they've become kind of like freak show movies in that Tom Cruise will do all these insane stunts for real. Yeah. Like, like on one, he was like strapped to the side of a plane. It's actually him, and they actually do the, the, the stunts. I think there's one where he was like on the side of the Burj Khalifa. It might have been this one. It might have been Rogue Nation. I can't remember because the the naming convention of these of these films is you, you cannot <laughs> remember which one you, you're supposed to be looking I, at. I assume it's also a challenge with punctuation because it's like mission yes. hyphen mission impossible uh, yeah. dash dash Rogue Nation. <laughs> like ah, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> But yeah, no, there was one where he was like scaling the Burj Khalifa and he was actually like on the side of the Burj Khalifa in, in Dubai, uh, this massively tall building, like, you know, strapped in, but like, it's actually him hanging off the side of this building, you know, Jeez. this sort of thing, you know, like he just does all this stuff. Gosh, really uh, gives you a lot of uh, energy, that Scientology, doesn't it? Um, it certainly does. We should put this bloody film on our rankings and the problem we, is we Steve, definitely should i have not kept my ranking up to date so i feel like i can't remember where i put everything i'm sure it will come back to me so why don't you talk me through where you might rank this um film all right well i mean i had a, i had a a bit of a tough time placing this one because because i like I, like we've discussed there were parts of this film that i really liked i think there's there's things that it does that i i really enjoy and there's things that it does that a lot of the craig films haven't done which is that it, it leans back into the procedure of a Bond film, you know, like he has the Q uh, stuff, he has the, the, the cold open, all that, all that, all that sort of stuff. Like, like we've, we've talked about, like they, there's a lot of that stuff in there, which I really like. I really like the franchise is sort of feeling its way back to something more familiar, but the stuff that doesn't work in this movie does not work. And it drags the whole film down for me. So I look at my list and sort of the first, I mean, there's 24 films on this list without Spectre on it. The, the top half of the list is sort of movies that, you know, go from absolute masterpieces that they, they go down and they, they, they're good films. They're, they're solid films that, makes sense that hang together that you can defend as like a, a a good watch down to about we get down to number 10 spot for me is moonraker 11 is license to kill number 12 is the living daylights i can defend all of those films for various reasons for for, for me anyway like i can sort of look at them and say these are these are good movies they hang together they're thematically consistent they're all great underneath the living daylights is quantum of solace and that's where we start to hit the back half of the list where for various reasons you have films that don't quite work for, for for various reasons. You know, Tomorrow Never Dies, For Your Eyes Only, Live and Let Die, You Only Live Twice. Like these are all, like, like th this 
sort of upper edge of the of the the list is still films that I enjoy quite a lot. You know, Tomorrow Never Dies, have, have a blast watching that film, but there are there are parts of it that just don't work. Mm. Um, you know, you go down, like you get to, you get to, you only live twice, the world is not enough. Then you hit Octopussy, Never Say Never Again, Man with a Golden Gun, View to a Kill, Thunderball, and um, Die Another Day, uh, which is a, as we've discussed, just a dog's breakfast of a movie. Um, <laughs> but absolutely fun. Worst. Fun? Uh no, well well, this is the thing. Like, as we've said, it starts <laughs> off incredibly fascinatingly and then just completely squanders that premise. Spectre's not quite in that in that league, I don't think. Like I think it's a good movie, except for the bits that aren't a good movie. <laughs> you know, I, I guess for I guess for your mileage might vary on how that sort of affects it. I don't the know. The Prime it's... Minister is a good Prime Minister, apart from all the times that he's just a really Bad prime minister. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. Like, like basically, I, I've put it in my number thirteen spot. Um, okay. So it was it was it's right under the Living Daylights and just above Quantum of Solace. So I thought there'd be a bit of distance between the two of them in various directions, but they've ended up one after another on my list. And I put Spectre above Quantum of Solace because I like the stuff that Spectre is doing that works way better than I like the majority of Quantum of Solace. Quantum of Solace is a movie that's fine, like, and I think it might actually be a little bit high on my list now that I look at it, but I'm I'm happy with how it's sitting, but I'll definitely put Spectre above it. So Spectre goes in at number 13 for me. Okay. Pretty much so, bang in the centre. Yeah, that I think is generous. But again, I, I, the film looks good and it's well... You know, it's well-made film. It, mm. it, it's technically very good. The car chases are great. You know, some beautiful cinematography. The opening credit sequence with that single take shot looks great. There's a lot to like about it. My issue is I haven't kept my list up to date, so I'm struggling to work out <laughs> where I put Quantum of Solace. Right. Because I know Skyfall is at number five right after Casino Royale, but I'm struggling to remember where I put Quantum of Solace. But I think I put it just under... Thunderball or just under You Only Live Twice? It's somewhere around there, so like the low middle. I didn't hugely love Quantum of Solace. I also didn't hugely love Spectre. I feel like Spectre will be going into, so what would that, that would be I've got five and then somewhere in there I'll have, so that'll drop it down. Hang on, let me do a count here. So I have Quantum of Solace at 17. And Skyfall at number five. That sounds about right. So, look, I have Casino Royale and Skyfall in the top five. And that, I think, is more than fair for the Daniel Craig era to get two films in the top five. I don't know that I like this film more than I would like The World Is Not Enough, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, Even For Your Eyes Only. There's good parts about it. But I just don't think I yeah look <laughs> no no to- totally I mean for for you and, and and you've made no secret about this like like the Blofeld stuff is a complete deal breaker it's and it's that's a, fine it's a big deal breaker and on that alone it, I would put it last or at least even above die another day so putting popping in it at like twenty one I think that would make it or just under die another day which would make it twenty two do I like it more than ever seen ever again like okay. It's a better film than The Man with the Golden Gun. Is it a better film than For Your Eyes Only? 
and Quantum of Solace, no, don't like it as much. It's really hard. It's actually harder than I thought it would be because, as I said, I was yeah. really keen to put this one dead last. So maybe I just put it dead last, just just well, look, spite. It's your, it's your film. <laughs> it's your list. Um, That's pretty nuts. I mean, like, it's, it's definitely a better film than Die Another Day, but okay. <laughs> I, I just hate the Blofeld thing. I hate it so much. Okay, I'm going to put it above The Man with the Golden Gun. Okay. Uh, so that is under Fioro's Only and Quantum of Solace. So I think that makes it number 19 on the list. Check on my recap online when I eventually post it. <laughs> to get a Natalie full... will tweak several things yes. and put this where it needs to go. What I would like to do, Stu, is yes. maybe, if you are amenable, because I would like to start, obviously, Raven Bat at some point, but maybe uh, we could catch up in a week or so and just do maybe a quick pod where we look at our lists. I and, think that would be good. And just sort of look at the series as a whole and see how it all fits together. And just see what we want to, whether we want to move anything around, whether we want to change anything on our list mm. and see if we're all happy with everything and then maybe do a final recount and kind of work out where we're on the same page, where we differ, and maybe get some feedback from other people. Maybe some of our guests get them to kind of send in their top fives or something like that and see if there are commonalities because obviously we've been collecting them from people along the way, but it might be good to get that on paper. Otherwise, I'll have to go back and listen to all the old podcasts. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so we, we might do – wish that on anyone. We might do a bit of a coda, and obviously we will podcast about No Time to Die when it comes out. And we will uh, move along with Raven Bat, I think, will be oh, the yes. next thing. We might, we might try and maybe start that before Christmas or or do maybe do some Fast and the Furious movies <laughs> something. <laughs> well, maybe that can be post-Bat. I don't know. We'll see how that post-bat. goes. Post-Bat. Uh, yeah. We'll definitely, definitely continue to podcast. So, And if you do have ideas of things you'd like us to watch and, and recap, I'm up for it because, you know, it's always fun catching up with Stu. So it's good to be able to put that on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we'll do a podcast where we sort of look at things learned because I know that I've certainly learned some things about the Bond franchise and watching it as a as a series definitely gives you a big picture overview um, when you watch them in order. So uh, as opposed to, you know, the random, which one's on this weekend on TV? <laughs> ah, gosh, we have to end the podcast. I don't want to end. We're just talking about Bond. Oh, no. Okay, all right. Well, look, Spectre let down a bit it's, it's a weird note to end on which is why i think it's good that we're coming back next week yes yes let's come back and look at things as a whole and work out maybe some of our funniest lines and things like that so if you do i'll put a note up on all of my pages and things but if you do have feedback or if you do have your favorite bonds or favorite moments um we'll try and do a bit of a greatest hits kind of package so i guess all i can say is until next time i'm natalie and i'm Stu, and we're shaken not stirred.